Welcome to episode 530 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Just Adam today for the intro and then a, a super fun interview that I have for you guys. Uh, a few weeks back, I sat down via Zoom, as always, uh, with debut author Angeline Bully, who wrote Firekeeper's Daughter. But I didn't just chat with Angeline. I also chatted with the narrator of Firekeeper's Daughter, Isabella Star LeBlanc, who is an actor uh, best known for doing a lot of stage work. And we had a rollicking, sprawling conversation uh, all about, you know, obviously Firekeeper's Daughter, the book, which you'll hear right off of the top. Um, but also about Isabella's career and how she got into narrating this. Um, this is a just really, really fabulous story about a Native teen who is trying to root out corruption in her community. And it's there's a lot of um, conversation about identity and f- trying to find yourself in uh, societies that may not you know, think that you belong there. And it's just a really, really lovely conversation. And it's a thing that both the author and the narrator could relate to with their own backgrounds, which we get in, which we get into. Uh, and then we had a really fun just conversation about how narration works and how the audiobook came to be and the challenging aspect of doing different voices and different characters and um, all sorts of fun stuff. This was just such a, it was such a great conversation. And uh, it's it's interesting because Angeline and Isabella, they while well, they'd interacted together and Angeline played a big part in deciding who the narrator was for her book, um, they hadn't really like spoken to each other. They'd uh, done some like social media and direct messaging and things, but they never really like kind of interacted with each other in person. Um, and so it was really fun to see. I, I joke at the end of the episode, I feel like I was um, getting in the way of a budding friendship. So it was, I was borderline adorable. So I, I think you guys will really enjoy it. This was so much fun. Uh, we just we touched on a whole bunch of stuff, and it was just great. Uh, you'll hear, of course, at least one of my dogs makes an appearance as is necessary. So, um, yeah, it's just a really great stuff. I, I think you guys are going to love this. Uh, if you missed our episode last week, we have a fun partnership with Plum Deluxe Teas going on right now. You can listen to that. We did a whole bunch of book recommendations based on some of our favorite teas. Uh, you can go back and listen to that from last Thursday, or you can go to plumdeluxe.com slash PBN and use promo code PBN to get uh, 10% off any of your tea orders through the beginning of May. So uh, if you missed that, go check it out. Their tea is phenomenal. And that was a lot of fun. We've gotten some really great feedback there. If you do like the podcast and you haven't done so yet, if you want to leave us a five-star review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast, it just helps people find us a little bit more easily. And hey, we appreciate it too. Or of course, you can always uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. Okay, enough housekeeping. I don't want to waste any more time. This conversation was so delightful. I am so excited for you to listen to this chat with Angeline Bully and Isabella Star LeBlanc all about Firekeeper's Daughter on The Professional Book Nerds podcast. Yeah, she did this production. She was Tiger Lily in this production of Peter Pan. And she had an idea that added to the entire like story. <laughs> and she got to make this incredible, like Peter Pan 
you've never asked me once about my stories and my stories have been um, in Never Never Land longer than you have. And I just, oh, I wish I could travel back in time, Isabella, and watch you on stage. Because when I read about that, your input in this that added that element of story to Peter Pan, I was like, there, that's it. That's, that's, that's it. Oh, that's so sweet. And I love that because I think somewhere in the back of my mind, so much of what informed Donis as a character and as a voice for me was that Tiger Lily that I just did. Like there's something very similar about those yeah. two yeah. girls who are strong and cool and tough. Yes. Like when Donis kind of tells, uh, you know, the Ron and Jamie, you know, you haven't earned our stories. I know what you're here to do. Yeah. And, you know, you want to know everything about this, but you haven't earned our stories yet. And I just, yeah. So that really connected with me. Um, so yes. Thank you. You too. This is going to be one of the easier podcasts I've ever do. I know. It? Like we're like completely. No, like, no honestly, yeah. I, I started the recording before, like our listeners love hearing just like the organic stuff. So like, I'm going to leave a bunch of this in just because like I said, people <laughs> love hearing, like I used to do the thing where like, I would, I do an intro with myself and do like our ad reads and all that jazz. And then I would like introduce the author again, after having just introduced the author and our listeners were always like, we know who they are. You just said it like 10 minutes ago. And so I, we just kind of organically start our podcasts now. And every once in a while, like the author will be like, should I, should I say who I is, who I be? Like, is it important? So yeah, so we- Did I forget to do that? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So, okay, so what we'll do actually, Angeline, can you maybe introduce our, our listeners to the Firekeeper's Daughter? And then what we'll do is we'll just jump into how the audiobook came to be and all sorts of great stuff. And it seems sure. like every, well, I'm just gonna shut up and let you two talk, which is- All right, well, Buju, um, Anin, it is so good to be here with you. Firekeeper's Daughter, it's the project of my heart. I, I worked on it for 10 years, uh, revised it for a year with my editor. And um, really it's, it's the indigenous Nancy Drew story that I wished I had read as a teen. Um, I wish that I would have seen myself in this story at that age. I think that that's what I wanted to do. So indigenous Nancy Drew. So Donis Fontaine, she witnesses a murder and she has to use her science geekery and her knowledge, her traditional cultural knowledge to figure out what's going on and protect her tribal community. And, um, you know, it's, it's a gritty thriller, but at the heart of it, it's this story about identity and grief and justice. I'm so glad that that's the way that you introduced the book because they're really, we've had so many conversations with authors that talk about um, one, this feeling of like other, of feeling separated from the world you're in. But one of the things I learned about you actually earlier today, speaking of you saying this is a book you always wanted to see when you were younger is that's a huge aspect of uh, We Need Diverse Books, which I know you're a big part of. Mm -hmm. um, and actually last fall, I interviewed Francisco Stork, who I know was kind of your, yeah, exactly. I was, I, 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 I made too. 
Francisco Stork is one of my favorite people on this earth. He is the kindest, most generous, and most wonderful person. Just he's so giving, and uh, as an author, as a as a person, um, I just adore him. Well, and the the through line that I, I was thinking about when thinking about your book and then um, one of his most recent books, Illegal, is this that big feeling of not feeling entirely connected to your community. And so you know, your main character is biracial. And so while they're a part of multiple communities, they struggle to feel as like they are a part of one. Is this something that you brought on because of like, is that autobiographical in a sense for you? Yes, that is. It started out very much autobiographical. And, you know, my father is Ojibwe and my mother's not. I didn't grow up on the reservation, but we always went back um, in the summertime to visit our grandparents um, and our cousins. And so um, I always knew who my I always knew I was Ojibwe. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know exactly what that meant because when people would ask me about it, their own feel, their own um, uncertainty or like kind of would have me pause. Like, Mm -hmm. and and, you know, one of the biggest things was, oh, you don't look Indian. Um, I happen to be lighter skinned. And my experience was very different from my cousins who grew up on the reservation in Mm -hmm. Sault Ste. Marie, which at times it has been, it's very difficult to be visibly Anishinaabe um, Mm. and and live in that community. Yeah, Isabella, I want to bring you kind of into the conversation here because I'm curious how you found your way connected to the audiobook and also and forgive me I don't know your your cultural background is were these things that you felt growing up as well I know that that's like three questions all in one so I apologize (laughs) but we'll start with Hannah how did you get involved with the audiobook yeah so the audiobook came to me through um Kimberly Norris Guerrero who is um someone who's big fan of Angeline and of the book and is excited about it and she um, sent me this casting call and she said I think you should um, audition for this mm-hmm. and I'd never done any um, narration before again I'm an actor mostly in theater mm-hmm. so I didn't really know what this world was or what it looked like to do this um, so I was like I don't know like I, I'm very excited about this book I'm very excited about this story I want to audition but I don't know how I'm going to do it and then I read the excerpt that they sent for the audition and immediately I was like oh, I know this world. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a world that I'm familiar with. This is a world that I know what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I did grow up, I'm mixed as well. My father's Dakota from the Sistinwapton Dakota Reservation in South Dakota. And my mother's white. And I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Again, Mm -hmm. very similar to you, like away from reservation, but with all my family there. And there is this... um, experience of living in two worlds and figuring out how to be true to yourself and how to be honest in all spaces that you walk in. And I saw that immediately in this book and I heard the voices of the people that I come from. And so it was really exciting to um, see this project happening and this story coming into the world. Angeline, you you were involved kind of in the casting process, correct? Yes. 
So I was able to have input and um, my publisher knew that I felt very strongly about wanting indigenous, an indigenous narrator. I just felt like the story needed to be told that way. Mm -hmm. And so, and they, agreed they were very supportive and so we put out a casting call um just cast a wide net on social media hey you know uh send us an audio sample by you know this date and i was able to listen to those um audition samples Mm -hmm. and when i listened to isabella's she sounded like donna sounds in my head Mm -hmm. and i was like okay And then the other thing that set her apart was she read from different sections of the excerpt. And so she was able to do Granny June, um, a section with Granny June's voice and a section with um, Donis and Jamie. And I fell in love with her Granny June voice. I was like, this is, this is it. Like I, yeah. And, um, and so really for me, there was just no other, there was Mm -hmm. no other person I wanted to, um, narrate. I, I just felt like this is it. Yeah. You could hear what's inside my head. (laughs) This is what it felt like. Oh, that's so sweet. And I so remember recording that audition. I had like nowhere in my house that was quiet enough. So I (laughs) sat in my car and I put a blanket over my head. So I remember like being in the car with a blanket over my head. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I was like, I don't know what to read. And immediately I was like, well, I have to do a Granny June because like I can sound like my grandma Celeste, like I, I can hear her the clearest. <laughs> yeah. So I remember doing that and just having so much fun with it. I was like, oh, well, at least we're having fun in the car. Yeah. yeah. The, the concept of you doing that in your, in your car, I, I feel like over the past year, people have been much more forgiving with like hearing sounds in the background <laughs> and stuff. Literally, as you were telling that story, one of my two dogs walked in who will probably jump up like right here in roughly 30 seconds. But um, yes, I have a cat who makes a frequent appearance. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remy, who again, he will jump up here in a minute. He was just eating dinner. Um, he's been on more podcasts, I think, than like other than me, than anyone in, in the world. Oh, hello. Oh, look at that face. Yes, catchy, yeah, the one-eyed cat. And oh. he doesn't like to be held, but he just likes to be around. Yeah, he wants oh. to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's totally okay. Um, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's debating what he wants to do. Okay, so are there being connected to the reservation without, you know, living there full-time? I Something... Are there things that you both think readers, you hope readers understand, but maybe before reading the book about, in addition to this living in two worlds, there he goes, um, living in, you know, kind of two worlds. Are there other things, Angeline, that you think people would better understand the novel if they understand going in? I think that For example, Tommy Orange's book, There, There, Mm -hmm. did so much to shine a light on urban, the urban Indian experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I really felt like I wanted my story, which I'd been working on for 10 years uh, before I got an agent. And 
I wanted to tell a story about what it's like when you're not enrolled and Mm. when there's always someone who thinks you are not enough. Mm. And at some point, your identity, you have to um, take ownership of that and decide, I know who I am. And to tune out people who, who will differ with, you know, their definition of Indian doesn't align with yours and, Mm -hmm. um, and that it doesn't change who you know you are. Um, I also felt it was important. My story is set in a tribal community. I fictionalized my reservation, my tribe, so I could take some creative license with Mm -hmm. it. But um, the tribe in, um, my story operates a lucrative gaming casino. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to tell that story about, I think there are so many preconceived notions about gaming tribes Mm -hmm. and per capita payments. And I guess I wanted to tell a story that might shine a light and some understanding about it, that it's not this fix all problems. Mm -hmm. In some ways it creates new ones. And, and really, I just shared this belief that I've heard for a long time that, um, like per capita, that it does, tribal members receiving profit sharing checks from their tribal enterprise, just mm-hmm. like Ford or Walmart, that it doesn't, it merely amplifies whatever is going on with that mm-hmm. family or with that individual. And so that's something that I really hope that readers, one thing that I hope readers take away from the experience. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thinking about that, like you said, it amplifies what's going on with the family um, to a much different and lesser extent. But uh, a few years ago in Cleveland, where I'm at, they brought in a casino and it's it, it's not um, tribal run, it's uh, Jack casinos. I have no idea how like up the hierarchy, who owns what, but um, some massive conglomerate who has all the money in the world. And there was this conversation. There's one of my dogs. I love it. The work from home life. I know. That's the thing. It's like, thankfully, people have grown to understand. Um, exactly. It's um, it's part but, of our world. Yeah, exactly. But one of the things there was a big concern with here in Cleveland was when they opened a new casino, they said, well, this is going to bring in drugs and it's going to bring in violence and it's going to bring in all these negative aspects to the community. And that hasn't really happened. I mean, the things that are issues here in Cleveland are still issues here in Cleveland. And there's kind of amplified. Like, It's nothing, I don't think anything that you can bring into a community business-wise is inherently good or bad. It's just how the things are going to be interpreted. Um, Isabel, did you, was the area that, that you're located in, was this, any, was there anything similar to this when you were growing up? Was there um, casinos or gaming or any kind of tribal connections to, you know, something along these same lines? Definitely. Again, so much of this felt familiar to me Mm -hmm. and that um, my family's from Sisseton and there's a small casino there, but not a big per cap tribe. Um, But in the surrounding communities to Minneapolis, where I grew up and where I have extended family and half siblings who are from in um, Lower Sioux and in Shakopee and stuff, there's huge Mm -hmm. casinos and it is definitely part of um, the, the world 
that I'm from. And it is something that is so misunderstood mm -hmm. outside of native communities about like, what is this money? What does it mean to get paid from a casino? Mm. Um, and it's so it was so lovely to get to see the complexity and the gray area and the nice. spectrum of what it means to have casinos in our community portrayed in the story. And I think it's gonna give um, some really valuable insight to readers that they wouldn't have before. Angeline, there's, I heard you talk about in an interview, um, you have some advanced knowledge of narcotics and drugs that other people don't currently, um, can't easily find. First of all, I was laughing because you said something that I know a lot of like of our mystery and like crime writers have talked about where basically uh, your, your Google search is a bit of a horror show, but, <laughs> Beyond that, can you kind of explain to our listeners the interesting ways you were able to do research into some of the drugs that are involved in this book? I am like the poster child for a writer immersing themselves in research. So in addition to interviewing um, FBI agents, retired FBI agents and IRS agents, um, I learned how to make meth and how to spot clandestine meth labs from the state police. I was the only non-law enforcement officer allowed into a training. Um, I learned different methods and really just learning the different um, telltale signs about uh, meth labs, which, um, you know, my book is set in 2004 and, you know, it just, ex meth exploded in rural communities mm -hmm. um, in that in that time and so just yeah how does one f get into that I'm trying to imagine like I'm trying to like take us to that conversation how you were able to like call law enforcement and say okay hear me out I want this <laughs> hear me out I'm a abiding citizen. I'm just a writer trying. I'm a writer standing before you <laughs> write my book. Um, no, what how it happened is um, I was on some city meeting, some city meeting in Sault Ste. Marie mm -hmm. with um, a professor from Lake State University who was the head of their fire science department, which is like their law enforcement, their fire safety, all of like you know, and just chatting over dinner one night, this committee meeting, and I mentioned my book and he was like, oh, that would be so interesting because a chemistry teacher, there would be a students in, you know, students' fingerprints would be in that chem storage lab, like the, the storage room. Mm yeah, that would be really interesting. And then um, we just like kept in touch and he said, listen, I have contacts at the State Police Academy and um, you know, here's an upcoming workshop. And if you would like, I, I think I can arrange this for you. You wanna do research as a writer to make your story plausible, credible. And so that that person who is from that world reads or listens to your story and they're like yep mm -hmm. yep she got that right that's what you want to do like 95 percent of the listening or reading population is just going to be like oh good story mm -hmm. but for those ones who know that they know that i did my work 
that's why you do research. Yeah. Well, and I think part of what an important aspect of research is, is it making like dialogue sound natural. And like, it, you can't, it's like this fine line of writing it in a way that is factually correct, but not in a way where it's like, this author pulled this, I can tell this is from a research article. Like you have to know it well enough to be able to then write it in your character's voices, right? Like it's yeah, fine line. Yeah, because there's a lot of information and you don't want to do an info dump. And so you have to figure out how can I convey this information? For example, Jamie is new to town. And so Donna's gets assigned to be his soup ambassador. And so she gets to explain a few things to him and they have this little repartee and, um, you know, uh, it serves the story mm -hmm. and it serves those characters. Yeah. Isabel, uh, you know, Angela mentioned when she heard your um, your clip that it was how she was hearing the characters in her head. I I'm curious how building out maybe these character voices, how you went about that process and, and if it's different than how you would do it for say stage acting or something along those lines. Like, was there a through line for you in building out these characters' voices in your head? And then also just how challenging was, I have so many questions. I don't get the interview <laughs> no, barriers. I'm just like- I think that that's a great question. I like, I want to know that answer. I'm yeah. so curious, please tell us. Yeah, so how do you build yes. up these characters in, in your own head? You know, it was so much of a learning curve. Again, as like a stage actor, I'm so used to like, my body and my face doing I'd say 85% of the work like mm -hmm. I like to say that my eyebrows act do most of the acting for me and so to be just in audio is like a whole different world and figuring mm -hmm. out like what does it mean to have a character as just a voice and again really what it came down to for me is I I felt like I knew these people so for every character there's someone in my life who I was just trying to sound like them, um, which was so fun and mm -hmm. like honestly really exciting because it felt like I was getting to honor these people, these cousins and my dad and my grandmas like to get to be like, oh yeah, they get to be in an audiobook is really exciting. And it has a lot to do with um, pitch. It has a lot to do with you know, like I, I decided from the start that like I wanted Donna's to be a little bit more in, in my own register. I wanted mm -hmm. her to feel really natural and really easy. And and so then it meant like, OK, all for her friends, for her Lily, how does Lily sound different? Maybe Lily's a little higher. Maybe she laughs a little more. Mm -hmm. And for the aunties, maybe they're um, a little more grounded and a little more resonant and it was really fun and the and, twins and oh, the twins all oh, the little ones the, the, the little six-year-old twins <laughs> <laughs> yeah the kids are like the funnest ones to do um but yeah it was definitely a, a learning curve for me and that like I didn't have much experience in um doing like male voices that was something that I haven't done on stage at all yeah and so it was really fun to explore like what that sounds like in a, a not gimmicky funny way but yeah. in like a way that feels honest to further that question so one of the things I have been doing uh during the pandemic is I 
FaceTime and I read to, to my niece every Monday. It's so that we can kind of see each other. <laughs> and it is so much fun, but I am not a professional actor. And we read books that have so many characters. And my biggest struggle is I can get like one character down and get into that voice if they're doing like a monologue or a couple paragraphs. It's when they have a conversation that with another character. And so you as an actor, you're used to being one character on stage for not only for the entirety of you know production, your, your the production could be a week, two weeks, a month. Did you find that challenging, those conversations? And then like, was there a way that you compartmentalize them when you were doing that because I don't I don't know for like if re- for recording audiobooks if they have you like do line by line like how does that work for you as the actor yeah so luckily I'm not alone as the actor and that I had a lot of support in my ears throughout and that mm-hmm. like our director Caitlin and the engineer Matt were um, really great and that like yeah sometimes by the end of the day, I would be reading and they would stop me and they'd be like, Jamie's sounding a lot like Ron right now. So <laughs> let's let's just go back and do that section again. And that was what was really nice about it is we could always go yeah. back. And so sometimes I would even stop. I'd be like, I don't, I don't think that sounded like Donis or that didn't sound like Jamie. Can I take that one back again? And they're mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, definitely. And sometimes we do like a couple different takes until it felt right. Um, so there was a lot of play and a lot of experimentation, which yeah. is fun. Um, but definitely sometimes keeping all the characters in your head or like sometimes a character hadn't, I hadn't read a character in a while in like a couple mm-hmm. chapters and we'd come back to them. I'd be like, what? what did they sound like? Like, what did I do? And you kind of have to remember again. Um, But it was like, yeah, again, such an amazing challenge and such an amazing exercise that I found really enjoyable. Oh my gosh. And you're call me Grant. Oh my God. Every time I heard his voice, I was just like, like, I would read those scenes. I'd be like, oh, gross. Yeah. (laughs) I I will say my um my audience is a little bit more harsh. My niece, uh, she will give me this look, like that's not how that act that character is sounding. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, give me a break. We're, I'm like, been reading for like an hour, and I'm completely I'm completely gone. Um, but I, one of the things that I love so much about not just you know this audiobook but all audiobooks is um, that I have since rediscovered, especially with how like I said the the service for the company I work for that you can borrow them so much easier than, you know, I don't have to lug around like 24 CDs or anything is it reminds me of, I grew up in a family of storytellers in the sense that my mom was a teacher for 40 years. She taught English. Um, and my dad though, he's a salesman. So this, he is where I get my ability to talk and talk and talk. And we would, they would just tell us stories on their laps. And that's what audiobooks, a good audiobook reminds me of like having a family member tell you a story and it's a different way to in, 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 you know, interpret a book. So for both of you, Angeline, we'll start with you. Was oral storytelling something that you grew up with in your family as well? Yes, it was, but for a very different reason. So both of my parents are very well-read. Mm-hmm. Um, my father didn't go beyond eighth grade. And he ended up in the in the Navy. And uh, then when I was growing up, he was a truck driver. Mm-hmm. And so we listened to audiobooks because my dad would listen, like 
we're talking back in the day of cassette tapes. Mm -hmm. um, it would be like a shoebox full of cassette tapes mm -hmm. of this one story. Um, I'm surprised maybe even, I'll have to ask them if they had them on eight tracks. But mm -hmm. so I grew up listening to these stories. So for me, hearing a story just felt really natural. And mm -hmm. so when I was writing, I would read chapters aloud to myself um, to, to just to hear the story mm -hmm. and see how it was flowing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, I've just been a huge audiobook listener yeah. for a very long time. It's... I probably now I would say I listen to more books than, than mm -hmm. I read. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned the, um, the truck drivers. That's actually like one of the biggest users of our service like when people when I tell people that I'm like mm -hmm. they're like who are some of the best read people you've ever met Adam and they assume I'm going to tell them some author and I'm like actually truck drivers because they're yeah. on the road for hours and hours at a time yeah, yeah. Um, my dad was long haul cross-country yeah. trucker mm -hmm. and so and he just every story he just yeah. yeah and really good ones he would tell my mom about my mom would get them mm -hmm. um and we would listen to them Isabella what about you did you grow up in kind of a home of, of storytelling as well or was it a, a different experience for you definitely I grew up my father's a poet and a writer and so I grew up a lot of with just a lot of made-up stories from mm -hmm. him um and so that was definitely something that I always really loved um, and I think what really drew me to um, books and why I was such an avid reader mm -hmm. as a kid is, you know, growing up in a Native household, like stories are how we connect to each other and um, mm -hmm. stories are how I learned about my culture and my history and um, all the parts of my life that I love so much I learned through stories. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's what always called me to books too, was I, I felt like, oh yeah, I, I know stories. I know stories are important and I like spending time with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we would often on the road going to powwows, we would listen to audiobooks on the way. And mm -hmm. um, so getting to hear the story is like also, I think why I became an actor is, you know, telling stories out loud is powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's such a different experience too. I just like, I, one of my favorite things to do is if I read a book that I adore, I then want to go and I want to listen to the audiobook because it's a different experience. It's, it's the inflection that you as a narrator can provide. It's hearing the voice. It's almost like when someone wants to watch a movie that they enjoyed the book of and like seeing the things on screen and seeing if it matches how they, they visualize stuff. I love like, hearing someone's voice or and you'll I'm sure people will begin to tell you this is if you do more and more audiobooks is like there's nothing better for me than borrowing an audiobook and not paying attention to who the narrator is until I push play and then being like oh it's Julia Whalen or like re <laughs> recognizing the voice I love that that makes me so happy so yes. um what's a book that um that you love the audiobook more than the book book oof okay so I will say um, there are the His Dark Materials books, um, The Golden Compass, The Amber Spyglass, uh, and I missed the, the middle one, um, The Subtle Knife. It's the Philip Pullman books. They, they're they on HBO right now, the His Dark Materials, um, two seasons. So the books, I love. I adore the books. But the, the, the audiobooks, they did a full ensemble cast. And so it's 
not even it doesn't feel at all even like it feels like they're doing um like on the baby the bbc how they do like the radio plays that's what it feels like and they have they have music and uh and things like that i also really love doing um memoirs of musicians Mm -hmm. because there's a couple um i there's a piano player named ben folds who i adore and he used to play like pop and sort of like punk music and now he also performs with orchestras all around the world and he is he conducts his own music and he does all these things and so his uh his book is all about his journey and and being creative but he like plays the piano throughout all of it and it's just like little things that they maybe a different memoir would throw in piano but it's just like him was he was sitting by a piano while he was narrating so stuff like that his his dark material stuff that was is really cool if you can find any time there's a all like a cast a whole ensemble it's really fun to hear because like they'll say they'll literally act out this stuff like in person to each other and you can almost feel that type of a thing so mm-hmm. yeah I about what about you what about me I don't know if I can say that I like the audiobook more but I definitely love them in conjunction is um Louise Erdrich has narrated some of her own books oh and I love Louise I used to work at her um, bookstore here in Minneapolis, Birch Bark, which are having a fabulous um, release party for Firekeeper's yes. Daughter. I have a Birch Bark book story. But yes, but um, one of my favorite parts about working at the bookstore was getting to work the events when Louise would release new books and she'd read excerpts from her new books. And I just, I felt like I learned so much about storytelling just through hearing her tell a story. And so I, I get glimpses of that when I'm able to listen to her read her own books. I think she, I know she for sure um, did La Rose. Um, I think she's done other ones of her own, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm partial to that. Yep. Mine is Sadie by Courtney Summers. Mm. That audiobook elevated audiobooks. It yeah. is in the stratosphere. It, because the story, the way the story is told interspliced with this podcast about mm-hmm. the missing girls. And so when you're listening to it, you are so drawn into it. And then this podcast episode happens. And to me, it elevated the art of audiobooks and it took listeners to a place I feel was even higher than mm-hmm. where the reader could go. I, that's one thing where I'm like the audiobook of Sadie. It just it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah and it it really is. It's beautiful. And then um, The Martian by Andy Weir. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I love the movie, and I love the book. But listening to that audiobook and his voice, I'm like Mark Watney. <laughs> yes. Um, th- there is why are you single, Mark? Because. Ooh, there is I want to get who <laughs> is funny and self-depreciating give me more I so there is I want to make sure that I get her name right because it is she's one of my favorites um so there is a book called Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney and it is about this and 
listeners, I'm sorry, they've heard me talk about this book like a hundred times, but I don't care. I read it at the end of every year. Are you um, like so- Eric Smith with Hot Dog Girl? I'm <laughs> telling you, I had to go out and buy Hot Dog Girl because every podcast I listened to with Eric Smith, he would mention mm-hmm. Hot Dog Girl. Oh, it's it's become a running joke with me. Is I, I grew up in Lorain, Ohio, which is where Toni Morrison is from. And so it's almost like every time I say that, listeners take a drink because I mentioned that I'm from Lorain, where Toni Morrison is from. But this Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. It's about this um, woman in her mid 80s who lives in New York City and she was in um, advertising for R.H. Macy's and like she was the most famous and it's, it's fiction, but she was like the most famous, um, best paid female writer of like a copywriter for advertisements and things. And the book is all about it's New Year's Eve and she's taking a walk through New York City. And it's just she's reminiscing and it's very nostalgic and like it gets me right in the feels. But the narrator's name is Z Sands, X-E Sands, and she's done a bunch of books. And her voice is just, um, it's very like breathy and like emotional. And despite the fact that she's reading as an 85 year old woman, exactly to your point, like I hear her voice and I'm like, I want to hang out with you forever. (laughs) And please tell me stories forever and ever and ever. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm like, Mark Watney, how do you like your eggs in the morning? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it would be it would be potatoes though it would be how oh, like exactly you want potatoes with these eggs or no i understand if you don't exactly yeah. you're tired of them. um yeah the, the other thing that sometimes takes me out of enjoying the book and takes me a while to get back in is like when there's a bunch of famous people whose voices you then realize george saunders is lincoln in the bardot has like 130 characters or 160 narrators in it it's insane. And wow. it starts with like Nick Offerman and the, and like Keegan-Michael Key and you just like, but they're only in it for short bits. And so you're like, okay, that that's Ron Swanson for Parks and Recreation. That one I got. And then like, you'll hear another voice and you're like, is that Dave Chappelle? And then like, just, they don't come back and you're like, I think that was Dave Chappelle. And like, I just like, I've, it's a, like a pair, like an audio or a, a whole chapter has gone by and I'm like, I wasn't listening at all. I was just trying to figure out who was just talking. Yeah, it's yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, my Birch Bark book story is oh. that a week after my book deal, my incredible, I still can't believe it, book deal, um, I my staff and I went to Minneapolis for um, National Indian Education Association's 50th um, annual conference. And I took my staff to Birchbark Books. I'm like, we have to go to Birchbark Books. Now, I was still riding the high of this incredible book auction. And so I go into Birchbark Books and I showed my staff like, this is where my book is going to be. Like I would point out the space in the, in the shelves, like this is where it's going to be. And then I like descend upon the, the person working the counter and I'm like, um, I just got this really good book deal. And, and so then it was just so cool that they were like, oh, really? Oh, oh, that sounds so good. And then that they ended up being like the virtual host for my cover reveal. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to be the virtual host for my book launch. And so I'm like, yes, Birchmark Books, you are tied to me. You are part of my story. Oh, I love that. (laughs) That is amazing. And then finding out that you work there, I'm like, of course you have to read my book. You're like, it's like circle of life. It is all just uh, a, a braid of connections. 
You too. Kind of amazing. I, I almost feel like you have fun editing this, I am going to say. like I, I honestly don't. <laughs> I don't even mind. That's okay. I, I, the only problem is I feel like I'm infringing on like an, a, a budding friendship here. And like I, I, oh, I almost yes. feel sorry oh for gosh. cutting in. <laughs> You're um, facilitating it. Facil- yeah. Thank you. You know what? Thank you. That makes you feel way better. <laughs> um, so we always like to end our podcast with uh, one question, which is, what do you hope readers take away from reading your book? What I hope is that it makes that the reader, I want them to have all the feels. I want them to be outraged. I want them to fall in love. I want them to have their heart feel like it's going to soar right out of their you know, body. Um, I want that reader to have all of the feelings and um, to forever change how they think about indigenous people. That is absolutely perfect. I love the book so much. This was, I, I wish I got to do this more with narrator and the author is so much fun. I think it's so cool. We can be like your best practices. You can pitch this and be like, listen, I, when you have the narrator and the author, it elevates it into the stratosphere, <laughs> much like Sadie by Courtney Summers. No. Listen, even more importantly, it's so much easier for me because I can just shut up and let you guys talk to each other for a oh, while. Yeah, we're just having a conversation. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chadda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you. 